0: It was such a beautiful uh, rendering of Savitri by Nara, and the lovely music. <clears throat> crisis just vanishes. <laughs> 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 One just wonders <laughs> where is the crisis <laughs> except of our own making. <laughs> With the prayer of the mother, the storm, the sea is in turmoil (coughs) on the surface is the storm the sea is in turmoil but in the depths there are calm luminous and smiling expanses (coughs) that is the reality of (coughs) this world that on the surface is the storm and the turmoil, the conflict, the crisis, but in our own depths and in the depths of the world there are calm and smiling and luminous expanses and in a way the whole effort of this world and nature that operates in it is to bring to the surface these calm and luminous and smiling expanses. It's difficult because the surface is not ready to hold, to receive the light that is concealed in our depths, we are too small, too fragmented, too divided within too much restless and agitated to receive, to hold, to open and to become channels or manifesting instruments of that grace, that peace, that wideness, that love, that strength, that power, that wisdom that is always there waiting to express itself. The Mother says in one of her well-known statements, that beyond all our mind and its thoughts and conceptions there is the luminous simplicity of the Divine Grace waiting to act, if we allow it to do so. And I suppose the whole story and the drama of life relates to this if. <clears throat> because between these depths and the surface many players have come into the play. Many forces and beings and energies have been released into creation. Each. Since it derives itself from something of the absolute, wants to have its say, its final word, its last say, it has separated itself from its origin and it wants to create this world in its own image. If you really look at life, all problems arise from that, all conflict arises from that. It's really a very difficult uh, problem because each one perceives this world in his own way, believes it to be true, believes it to be real and goes on to create it. The best part is that another one whose worldview and self view is just the very opposite also believes it to be true and believes it to be real and wants to create it. So there arises a conflict and a clash. And who is to determine what is really true and real except the divine in the depths who knows the right place and the just measure of each thing in terms of time and space in this great drama of creation. All confusion and chaos and crisis comes as a result of that. In this epic unfolding, each force, each energy that has been let forth into this creation is given a field and a time to express itself. That's the beauty of this creation. Nothing is denied, everything is given an opportunity and a field to work. The time comes when it has outdone or outlived its utility and then it must go. And the whole problem is when it sticks and clings and doesn't want to go. So there is a conflict and a resistance, on the other side a pressure to manifest and that in the outer surface consciousness of the world appears. As a clash, a conflict, and a crisis of events and circumstances. Shorbindu, while speaking of the Avatar and his work in the essays, he says that action and event have no importance in themselves, but for the idea they represent and the force that is there to serve the idea so behind every action and event and circumstance of a life there is an idea which is pressing for manifestation this idea is not just the mental figure of the idea that we hold mental figuring of an idea is often a disfigurement of a truth It's an idea that is pressing to manifest and there are forces that serve the idea and that is the significance of any event or circumstance. And then Shriwanda goes on to say that the conditions in which the avatar descends, though it appears to the outward human eye a crisis of events and circumstances, is in its depths always. A crisis, an evolutionary crisis. It's a crisis of consciousness. It is like first scene of a great act is over, and there were various actors in the scene who have lived their part. The curtain must drop, and a new act must begin. But these players like not to move. Away from the scene, so they must hold on. It's very difficult. And that creates a sense of tussle and conflict of forces. Of course, it's uh, both fashionable to speak of forces, and it also uh, appears a bit if one speaks of things like forces uh, behind this tangible, sensible world you suffer the risk of being branded as a religious person but at some point if we have to take the yogic vision of things we cannot escape but this necessity and the inevitability of understanding the deeper forces which are at work it's true that our sensory mind does not see them this is one fact it only bears their shocks and wonders at the hidden cause of things. So, when someone falls ill, one goes to a doctor, and the doctor tells us that his kidney is packed up and gives the solution how to support it through the transit. But there is behind this packing up of the kidney the play of deeper forces, but the doctor won't believe because he doesn't see it. So, what is the solution? <clears throat> One solution is that we helplessly submit to the crass, materially scientific worldview, which has lived and I suppose outlived its purpose. Or else we grow anew, we grow through a process of yoga, discover what lies in our own depths, and act. On the strength of that knowledge this precisely what we experience today if you go back a hundred years back we see that at the level of hundred years maybe around that the peak of darkness if one may say we can almost say see that the forces that were at work in this world Material science had declared that there is no God but only electron playing with itself. Biological science had discovered that man is nothing but the descendant, not the ascendant of an animal and his sole business is to survive and if he is fit, he survives. If he can bully his way, if he can push everybody around like the bear and the monkey, he will survive. And that's what is the business of life. And that's what is the purpose of all our striving and labor. The psychological sciences had declared that yes, of course man is a beast. And all this talk about higher is nothing but a shadow of the lower. It's an imagination, an aberrant gland. When the thyroid ticks fast, then men imagine God. And when it ticks faster, they die imagining God. And all these visions and all these Feelings, all these beautiful things that we experienced just half an hour back, collectively, are a problem with the brain. The EEG has to be checked and we all need to see a doctor, a qualified psychiatrist. But why are these people sitting here when so much is happening out there in the world? This was 100 years back. Things are different. So we had on one side a materialistic positivism, a scientific materialism or objectivism. On the other side we had a completely Darwinian view of evolution. And we had also the Freudian psychology, and we had the Marxist view of life where Basically, they are all friend in arms, (laughs) nothing else. Where we must snatch what we must, like an animal snatches his food. Only we are better animals, so we must use guns and not teeth and claws. On the other side, there was... Seemingly it's opposite but serving towards the same end the imperialistic view of life Where the few and the fortunate Have the right and the power By what not by knowledge, but the, by the might of things to govern the many and the unfortunate The result is what we see today in a kind of we know Shirbindo's humor. And Dilip Rai once wrote to Sherbindo, quoting from Anatole Francis' uh, celebrated sentence, some of us may know it, observations, that is there really a God in this world? If there is God, then why there is so much evil? Either He could do something about it, but would not. Or else he would do something about it, but could not. If he could do something about it, but would not, if he could cure this world of evil and suffering, but would not, he is perverse. Logical. If he would do something about it, but could not, he is impotent. Logical. And if he could do and would do something about it, why doesn't he do it? He shot this question to Sri that comes the reply that you know Dilip, there is the other side of the story that Anatoly Franci met God in some heaven of irony and raised this question to him and God replied that you know Anatoly Franci I have always been a little bit of a retiring predisposition so when science and industry came with its power to change this world I said go ahead. And it had its play. But what is it I hear the reports that reach me are not very pleasant. What is it Anatoly Francis? Eh? If science and industry could change this world but would not then they must be perverse. <laughs> Things don't seem to be very happy upon earth. And if they would change this world but could not, they are helpless. And if they could and would, why don't they do it? So essentially God allows, God is probably not a very good term, but let's say the divine, the one consciousness behind all things, the prophet, allows the play of these forces. And each has its own term to play yesterday we were speaking of the story of Ravana and Shirobhinda has a poem called Ravana so Ravana is threatening this whole earth and the Atri Vishi goes and prays to Krishna I don't know where is this story from because I have tried to figure out where is it from I have not been able to locate the source but Shirobhinda has written it so it seems that this probably is an occult uh, happening which he has uh, Documented, Because Atri Rishi going and praying to Krishna That Ravana is threatening this earth So please do something about it And he laughs and says You know I have given him a term And a lease He will do his bit When the time comes He will go away So it's very interesting that In this world So long as a certain set of forces And idea govern. And they are allowed a term. They continue, and human beings, though they uh, it's not the best of situation but they don't get the sense of a crisis. They as if are reconciled to a certain way of life. But a time comes when there is inside the sense of an anguish growing up, as if something becomes increasingly restless. And Strangely and paradoxically even when things outwardly appear fine and it gives the sense of a crisis If you really look back about a hundred years back of which we are speaking People had reconciled to certain ways of life Let me give an example women were oppressed and they accepted it There was no crisis. That's one way to resolve a crisis the most stupidest of ways They had reconciled and if you talk to the women of their age they are still reconciled and though they have suffered and struggled or suffered not struggled really suffered inside and struggled inside they still don't understand the modern woman who cries for liberation strange paradox because it was a situation when the idea force of the old world was so much gripping the consciousness of humanity that humanity took it. That this is the only way to live. There is no other. And this way to live had all kinds of sanction—religious, scientific, moral, social, conventional, every kind of sanction. Take another example. You know, many like we know that hundred years back when Shivinder was writing, very fiery speeches and very fiery uh, letters and talks. In the Hindu Prakash many of his own colleagues I'm treading on dangerous territory politics is not my strength it's my weakness but nevertheless I'm sure Shravindu will steer me through it so many of his colleagues found it too difficult what is it you're openly challenging everything no 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 let's ask for something more reasonable are challenging a whole world view a whole empire and you are trying to say that there is a way of looking at life which is far greater and far superior that cannot be after all you know let's ask for something more reasonable let's ask for kind of you know uh, okay give us little more freedom within ourselves but us. but surebindo was releasing new idea forces in this world if you see the period during that time through the Arya all his writings he was releasing new idea forces into this world and the impact of these idea forces it's only now we are beginning to little bit feel and these idea forces can be very strong very pernicious in their effect their effects can sometimes come after thousand years in one of his early writings reveals the reason for India's fall despite once being a mighty civilization it's true if you really read through yesterday Shradhal was speaking of the Vedic age and it was a mighty civilization why it fell and while going backward 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 he pins the uh, needle on the spot where india began to follow the dharma of illusionism Mayavad. now you see Mayavad is an idea force it was released into the indian thought 2000 years back even before that with buddhism the sense of illusionism that came and subsequent to that Sankara only affirmed it even while he was negating it look how these what i'm trying to say is that how these ideas can use seemingly Absolutely opposite things to actually force them upon the world. Buddha speaks of a Nihil and nothing beyond. Shankara is not happy. He wants to contradict what Buddha has said. And affirms it in principle though negates him in theory. It doesn't matter whether we say that there is a Nihil or whether we say there is the advaita consciousness the fact is this world is illusion this was what the idea force was trying to <coughs> manifest in this world why this was happening because on the other side should be gives another reason why this is allowed because behind all the play of idea forces there is the one who is watching the play why he allows this because of this one idea the entire Indian thought falls 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 through steps after steps after steps Till there comes a time when plundering, invasion, everything is regarded as this is after all illusion. Who is plundering and who is the plunderer and what is being plundered? All right, so long as my house is not plundered. (laughs) If it is safe, it's fine. This has happened all over the world in every, in different ways. I mean, mysticism itself took a very otherworldly turn all over the world. Religion started looking into the beyond and not connecting itself to earth But in India its impact was felt in a way unprecedented because India carried that light which was linking up spirit and matter there was a work going on so one felt that impact On the other side while this was happening that the spiritual glory which Would manifest upon earth and try to link it that was receding into the background Slowly God started becoming further and further from this world because this world was a field of illusion so all kinds of forces could come and have their say and spirituality became further and further in some remote inaccessible heights, some silence of the Himalayas so people started shunning this world, running away from this world into caves, mountain tops to find God they started seeking some kind of a silence and peace of contemplation to find God because He we was no more in this world. This world was illusions. See the impact of one single idea, how nasty it can be. And this world was being filled up by another kind of forces, forces of reason. We had the age of enlightenment, which was basically referring to irrational enlightenment. And we see almost. From Socrates' illustrious disciples and then Aristotle, and subsequent impact of that age, and reason started working into this field of globe. And reason started looking at life, and reason started analyzing life, and reason started giving us new theories about life. And it had its play. For almost 2000 years, it had its play. The result, <laughs> the end result, is another kind of crisis. So, what we see today is an old world built on the edifice of a scientific materialism with reason at its peak and senses as its witnesses, where faith has been outcast, where God has been turned into a remote sanctuary, if at all there is, as Sri says, vision and vain, imagination deemed. And this world is governed by these forces which in this last century reached a pinnacle. Because it's the natural result when we follow a certain cycle, it must reach its logical end. So the logical end is we have not touched the bedrock of matter. The scientist stands there in the electro, in the electronic void. Yes, that can be a good term. And he stands, it says, Whither do I go from here? I see the end of matter I see the end of science and I see nothing but white what is there in this white it's frightening the second idea that this life is nothing but competition and strife has led us to a kind of worldview where today we see each group is struggling and striving with another just to survive this idea has ruled the roost and it still won't give way its crash of circumstances which are pushing us towards a more cooperative kind of outlook of life otherwise the extreme form of competition went to this extent that within a household one son was competing with another son that was the height you know everything was breaking down into that and whoever was better in terms of his outer success he was the one who was given the better chance and better status where the other was relegated into the background. It's the height of this worldview where we look at life only as a struggle for survival and same with our Freudian psychology that it reached the result of this kind of psychology was completely to announce that well Man is nothing but a bundle of instincts and if man is a bundle of instincts then the highest ideal that he can follow is the MTV and the V channel. Um, I don't know whether it exists here or not but it is there in India. So I am speaking of you know because if really if that's what man is nothing but instincts Sexual instincts and aggression instincts and what's wrong with WWF and WWE on one side and MTV on the other They are the natural consequences. I'm not saying there is anything right or wrong with it But they are the consequences of following a certain line of idea and certain line of force and now A new thing has come up so long as human beings reconcile to this situation. There is no problem But as we are told that the crisis in which the avatar appears is a crisis of consciousness and he comes to release new idea forces into this world that is the deeper meaning what of the famous uh, sloka of the Gita when does the avatar comes he says the avatar comes in a state that whenever there is the glani of dharma there is a uh, diminution Of that idea force which holds this earth that great truth that great light that great wisdom which holds this world that is diminished and there is a free play of darkness and this darkness has such a free play that it begins to oppress the heart of the earth and there is something concealed in it that wants to be born always there is an anguish and a cry which is hidden in the heart of the earth which all of us feel in our quiet moments or even in the midst of life there is something in earth that wants to take birth and the whole history of earth as we have uh, been sharing yesterday is an effort to bring out that which is concealed in it shivendra describes it very beautifully that uh, i'll just read it out because you know it's something very powerful passage but what is it that the earth is trying to release? Along a path of Aeon Serpentine, in the coiled blackness of a nascent course, the earth goddess toils across the sands of time. So she is trying to release something. It's a labor pains of a birth. A being is in her whom she hopes to know. A word speaks to her heart she cannot hear. A fate compels whose form she cannot see. In her unconscious orbit through the void, out of her mindless depths she strives to rise. A perilous life her gain is struggling joy. What most she needs what most exceeds her scope there is in actually if you look at even individually all suffering is actually a cry within the depths for a new birth all suffering is actually a longing if you really look at it any suffering whether it be physical emotional psychological individual and collective behind suffering there is a longing for perfection And suffering is a mistranslation of an aspiration. If I have an illness, on one side this is a cry that I should be well. On the other side there is an anguish. I wish we never fell ill. If I suffer emotionally, a shock or a setback, behind it there is an anguish. I wish things were perfect. People could understand me. What is that thought which most depressed people have? Why am i so much misunderstood behind that why am i so much misunderstood i wish i could be understood so simple like as that and this is the longing inside earth and what does it seek and need a mind unvisited by illusion's gleams a will expressive of soul's deity a strength not forced to stumble by its speed, a joy that drags not sorrow as its shade. For these she yearns and feels them destined hers. Heaven's privilege she claims as her own right. So this is the anguish in this earth, and there are moments when because of the acute oppression, oppression, often we, are, we wonder that why does the divine allow this kind of a darkness to have its full play? Why is it that there must be a Kansa to have the advent of Krishna? Why should Ravana come before the birth of Rama? Why should there be nasty kings who would destroy and slay every child before Christ must come in his splendor and his glory? the reason is that without that anguish matter is so dull it does not feel even the urge. when everything is fine then the first thing we do is to forget the depths forget the heights and we are so comfortable in our cushy life so when god you know decides to make us grow he sends us to school And to be to you know when we go to school it's not a very happy experience most children know and most mothers know that this is a very terrible time you know to send children to school because it's very painful it's very painful for the parents very painful for the child his neat world is collapsing so today we see a very similar kind of crisis that all the illusions gleams they are collapsing the complete Scientific material view which seemed to be complete everything we have known just about 30 years back. I remember I mean having joined the uh, um, Air force as a young medical graduate and you know uh, each one has his own ideas. I had my own ideas and uh, in, In the party if you don't drink you are regarded. No, you don't drink What kind of a man are you? So, you know, it's like strange as if you are doing a sin if you don't drink alcohol it's like as if you are sinning and if you talk about divine and God then people look askance at you that this something is wrong seriously with this guy (laughs) this not much much time back and I can tell you things have changed today it's fashionable in fact within 20 years they had changed when I had joined this was the situation it was almost like an initiation ceremony into air force, they talk you must have a drink. So if you say no, they suddenly what, you are in the military and you don't drink. So you are like a fool. And 20 years later, it was amazing to see that among those who were, you know, fighter pilots are the cream of the air force, who have a very stressful life. And most of them were free of alcohol and they were on a vegetarian diet. Not because of us doctors telling them anything. It was the way the world was expressing a new will and a new idea. Who was doing it? How this happened? One single will becomes omnipotent. And it begins to push a deep force, a deep thought, a deep idea into the world. How does it do it? In one of her experiences, the mother describes as, she says, what I would call as the yoga of the world. What is yoga of the world? So she goes into that state where she becomes, she's identified with her highest state of love. This is not human love that this this is the love which is so powerful in fact uh, that's another problem with our human mind that all these ideas they get a twist in the human mind and they change into their meaning for instance freedom when the divine speaks of freedom it's the highest freedom a freedom which is unfettered by any limits of the mind any thought idea or vital preferences it's free utterly into that Satchidanan state. But the mind immediately turns it into the sense it's a freedom, means I can do anything I feel like. It leads to chaos. Similarly, with love, the love that Mother says in one of her passages, uh, conversations, that if the divine love were truly to manifest itself, most human beings will find it hard to bear. They will find it cold, impersonal, and aloof. In one of her prayers, she described the state that love is an impersonal force. Talk about it. The last thing we associate with love is an impersonal force. She says the impersonal force and only the very pure, the very true. And then she compares it also with the force of beauty. She says beauty also like love is an impersonal force and not the crude name that people have given to it. She speaks of that. And only those who are very pure and very strong can bear it. Because it's so impersonal. As long as we have a single preference towards this or that, we cannot bear the power of love. In Savitri, there is a description that she bears this power of love, that burning test of the Godhead in our parts. It burns and eats the ego when the power of love enters into the human heart. It eats away the ego, licks away every thought and every feeling that is egoistic and which limits us. It destroys and shatters the limits and releases us into a greater ananda and beatitude. That's its working in the human consciousness. That's why Shivinda describes Mahakali as one having an intense love. But the same Mahakali at the human plane is experienced as a destroyer of evil. So she experiences this love and she's pumping this love into this universe. He says with each throb, this love was going into this universe. And there were elements which are receptive and they grow. There are elements which shrink and it shatters. It's like a giant tsunami and yet it is love. It takes time to understand that the hand that smites and the hand that suckers are not two, they spring from the same heart and this is the kind of force and the idea that Sri Aurobindo was releasing into this into this world that which will liberate and uplift the humanity that is ready at the same time this idea force is pushing darkness further and further and further into the depths there is a very beautiful description in Savitri of this acute crisis where death typifies the old world what is this crisis if you have to really understand this crisis it's best described in the debate between Savitri and death death typifies this crisis this old world death has built this old world yesterday sir Dhal was very beautifully uh, telling us about the eater eating himself is eaten this is the old world this is the pattern where everything ultimately goes into the hands of death into the mouth of death it's created by death even mystics of uh, traditions in the last two hundred three hundred years if you hear even a famous and great mystic you know he ends up saying that what is this world it is a food for death and the difference is some he has already swallowed and some he is keeping in his lap to swallow tomorrow (laughs) that's how it's described jagat, chabina, Kalka, ka kuch mukh mein kuch bodh. and so it says the way out is get out individually of this zone of death this is the old idea and it has asserted itself in many ways we have just spoken a few things of scientific materialism Freudian psychology Marxist ideology a kind of you know ultimately this world is a field of death if there is a beyond maximum this Field admits that if there is a beyond, it's somewhere there. I don't care. It may be hallucination. It may be an imagination. It may be real. We don't care. The last baton that death throws to Savitri, he says, "Okay, okay, there may be a god. I don't care. But this is my fifth term. Don't bring him here into this world. I don't care if you go to the beyond and live with Satyavan or whatever." but there is nothing in this world, I govern it, it's darkness and he takes several angles, all the theories which I am mentioning you will find in the dialogue of death, his gospel the vanity of the ideal, the very idea of establishing truth and light into this world is nothing but a vanity, says it's nothing, he says all this, that's your gland which is going gory (laughs) you talk about divine and truth where is truth and divine? I don't see any love. It says that love dies before the lover, in the lover's heart. Before the lover is there, love dies in the heart and one is only waiting for the rest to follow. Though of course one cries copiously, you know, outwardly. This is the tragedy and the irony of this world that something in the depths wants to establish but it would not this is the whole old world pattern and the more this new consciousness is asserting itself from the depth this new idea force that Sri has released shubhendra and the mother the more the conflict is becoming acute and acute in one of her passages the mother explains why there is an increase of illnesses in this nowadays and she says they are giving new name to every new illness which is coming up And she says the doctors don't know why and then with her I would only say divine humility because very few places mother and Shubinda have said with this she says perhaps I know the reason why I just wonder why mother has to use the word perhaps of course she knows the reason (laughs) only divine can say this way if it was a lesser human he'll say I know it you don't know it (laughs) so He says after having seen all, after having done all and lived all and achieved all, he says perhaps I know the reason why. And he says it's because of the acute struggle and conflict of forces in the human consciousness and in the earth that is translating itself outwardly in the form of so many diseases. Can you imagine? And the more we fall onto the old solutions, the lesser we'll find the remedy. They don't work. They are not going to work. Even if they worked very well in the past, they will not work. Because such is the decree that has gone forth. A new element has been introduced into this earth, which is trying to assert itself in the mind, in the thought, in the heart of the race. It is pushing itself using various instruments. But equally, there are instruments of the old world which will not let go and that is why this world is appearing as it appears today a field of conflict of chaos of struggle the Vedic Vishis saw this struggle as a struggle between the forces of light and darkness just about 50 years back when the famous second world war was going on Sri says it's not just a war which outwardly it looks like as if you know It's Hitler and Stalin on one side and some others on the other side. And it's simply a war of nations. But he says, behind it, there are actual forces that are at work. And these forces work in very deceptive ways. Imagine what they were whispering in the heart of Hitler. That, you know, he was speaking of the Aryan race. He was speaking of, you know, an elite race. And he was speaking of such things. Superman. Superman. But behind all these thoughts and ideas, what was working was was a darkness which was gradually revealed as events unfolded themselves. It doesn't reveal immediately because it's very deceptive. But as events unfold, the dark nature of this person was being revealed. Shorbindo, of course, knew it sitting in his room when he saw Subhash Bose, There was a picture which was shown to him shaking hands with. Uh, Hitler and of course many Indians were very happy and look how superficial understanding can be so deceptive. I mean, who can deny the sincerity of Chandra Bose was really wanting to liberate the country and he was a brave man, there's no doubt about it, but he didn't have the vision. So when he speaks of, he shakes hands so that he somehow wants India to be free and he sees in aliens with Japan and Germany, a possibility of freeing India very wonderful goodwill but when Sri sees it he is reported to every man he doesn't know with whom he is wanting to have a pact if Hitler were to walk into India in fact he says to some of his disciples who in their heart they simply felt that it is good if you know uh, if Hitler wins after all you know what's wrong we'll be free from the Britishers so Sri says you know, there used to be notices issued in the ashram sometimes that if you want to pack up this ashram, you must tell me I will do it myself
1: <laughs> rather than wait
0: for Hitler to come and do it. He was forcing. Was he really? Uh, I mean, one would wonder that Hitler is sitting there, India is not even in his agenda. And if you read George's wonderful book, uh, apparently he used to mumble during these states when he was possessed used to mumble India was one of the things used to mumble so was it just one of those mumblings or was there something deeper truth a force which was directing him towards certain ends and when we look at life from that view everything changes the same thing when again another example of someone with goodwill and even regarded in India as a pious man even called given the term of Mahatma If you see Gandhi, he was also fine. I mean, okay, if Hitler is coming, please lay open the doors, lay open the windows, give your houses, but keep your soul (laughs) reserved for God. And Sri had to again intervene and say, he doesn't know what he's saying. The devil will not find a better opportunity to come in and govern this world and completely occupy it. So, this is the conflict which, of course, was that its acute in the previous last century. I mean, I don't think there was a worse period or nightmare uh, during the Second World War and the previous years. Actually, we today are very fortunate, and that's why I feel that the inscription that the mother gave us, Sherubindu Samadhi, today, who has been the material envelope of her master. Who has done all, hoped all, achieved all, struggled, suffered, achieved all for us and he was doing it silently in a room. What gratitude one owes. Today we can breathe in a freer world, we can move like this. India can have its own destiny, other nations can have its own destiny. The sun of an empire which never set is itself now struggling somehow to survive. The whole cycle as if has been turned, the tide has been turned in another direction. This has happened in the last 50 years. Where is Hitler and his tribe now? Gone. And nations can be free, they can breathe free. The women today can dress the way they want. They can speak freely for their own rights. They can enter into a living relationship and walk out. If they don't feel comfortable with the man, they don't have to be bound by legalities today's children can speak up for what they believe to be true who released this freedom into this earth and how did it happen we only see outward events when we look at social and political forces but social and political and economic forces are themselves determined by something deep until we recognize that and what is that struggle very simply all what are these forces of light they are simply those forces which help this earth to grow towards a greater consciousness. Something which was alright and valid hundred years back is no more valid because they are releasing a greater light into this earth. And it is this which we are observing today as various kinds of crises. It is this cry of the earth which on the one side has become more and more prominent. And this sense of a grace, this sense of a, of a greater and a truer consciousness which is pressing in every field, in the field of science, in the field of medicine, in the field of law, politics, administration, it's trying to express itself in the field of religion, even in every field there is a will to know better, to know deeper, it is expressing itself in various ways and there are forces that resist, the forces which want to pull back to the past formulas of life that is being translated as a crisis what is the way out of course uh, we'll be speaking of tomorrow but uh, shirobindo describes this very beautifully in sabitri as to the real nature of this crisis and also hints at the way out ever surround our brief existence here gray shadows of unanswered questionings we look for answers outside, we turn towards various thinkers, but they their answers raise more questions and their predictions fail and fly in the face of our knowledge. The dark, inconscient, signless mysteries stand up unsolved behind Fate's starting line. An aspiration. In the nights profound, seed of a perishing body and half-lit mind uplifts its lonely tongue of conscious fire towards an undying light forever lost. Only it hears soul echo of its call, the dim reply in man's unknowing heart and meets not understanding why it came or for what reason is the suffering here god's sanction to the paradox of life why does he sanction this so this we can understand as i was saying it's uh, the the tragedy of life is that when it gets fixed into a groove unless there is suffering and crisis it doesn't awaken even to the need of something greater so kans must come and oppress this earth before the earth cries for the advent of krishna And it goes and says, this is there in the Indian midst that earth goes and prays to the Lord that please come. I am oppressed by the weight of the titan and the shadow. And then he comes, intervenes and changes the course of things. We don't see it. So how do we speak about it? One option is we simply accept to be within the frame. Well, that's one option and each one can take it. But the other option is to go beyond the frame and to discover these forces are not to be accepted only as a matter of belief and credence. That's where religion is. Religion speaks of these forces. And now to speak about these forces, immediately in the scientific world, there is shrinking. You immediately feel you are either deifying or demonizing. But these are real. Now, one can understand the problem because religion has misused sometimes, many times it has done witch hunting, it is also true. It is also true that religion has often accepted people to believe in these things without actually leaving them because it was not giving away, the way was lost, but the belief was there. But yoga is not about belief and non-belief. Anyone who grows into the psychic vision and has even entered a little into the depth of yoga. Just a little, I'm sure there are plenty here who who are, uh, I'm sure, much better than uh, what I have seen and experienced. And they have to tackle these deeper forces. They are so real, so concrete, almost material. And one can study them as a scientist studies their effect, how they influence even our physical states. I'll give you one small example. See when you suffer from common cold see what was your state a day before see if you are frequently falling ill see what has been the inner state during this phase what are after all stress diseases but a cry for change so if you really look at it you can see in every field that stress disease nowadays stress is the number one killer what is stress stress is the result of a certain attitude certain worldview and if you don't change the attitude you continue experiencing stress A person who came to me with depression, he was advised by another psychiatrist to go and play tennis, take a break off, play tennis, enjoy and come back and he'll be fine. And of course, he was given some antidepressants. So, he (laughs) went. (laughs) That's in the (laughs) sidelines. He went and he became more and more stressful. So, when he came to me, he was telling his story. He said, you know, the problem was when I went there, and i literally followed the advice and went. but the problem was when he started playing tennis he wanted to compete and come fast to win every game so he started getting stressful on a holiday because it was nothing to do with playing tennis i think i have shared this story with some but i remember this one of you know, my next door cardiologist in a hospital setting where I was working, walks and says, I am under stress, so I asked, what happened? He said, I am worried I might get a heart attack. He's a cardiologist. I said, why? He says, you know, when I go on the road, I see a car and I want to overtake it. I says, fine, what's wrong with it? Go ahead and overtake it. He said, no, then there is another car in front. So by the time he reaches home, he's completely as if, you know, tensed up, all wound up. It's a question of attitude now unless this attitude changes we may do anything but is it really going to work so this is where we see that even in so called now stress diseases then we are talking of lifestyle diseases lifestyle changes finally we will speak of attitudinal diseases and when the next step will be that we will discover that behind these attitudes what are the forces that determine that our attitude swings in this direction or another? There are forces that completely can change our attitudes overnight. I mean, there are people who have uh, gone and, okay, I can share this, that how these things can work in a way, and when you have experienced them, you can't just uh, resist speaking about them because they are real and natural to you. I'll narrate a very small, uh, I am literally following your advice, Sartaj. So I am um, uh, narrating something which happened twenty years, twenty-five years back. So normally we don't speak about any personal experience and I am not speaking again of anything deep, something very superficial. So this is one of my first touch with Svirabindra and the mother. So I entered into Bangalore Bhavan and I saw the mother's picture in front and uh, for many years I had taken a stance that I am not going to bow down before a human guru, divine is inside and Before that there was a phase of atheism or agnosticism and then there was this phase of, you know, why do people go to human beings? After all, they are same, like, you know, you don't have to do that. And anyway, there was a series of experiences, I'll not speak of that, but when I stood before the mother's picture, uh, the background was that, uh, I mean, I had a kind of a adesh, (laughs) but what an adesh? People hear nice adhesh, you know, do this or a plan of you guys and we to go here. I had an adhesh stop smoking. Now the strange part is that I used to smoke and last three years I was struggling to give up smoking. Within two months I had realized, I had picked it up as a fashion. You know, you are a doctor and if you don't smoke and I said the kind of culture and milieu was there. If you don't smoke, you are kind of, you know, oh, this fellow, you know, is Bit crazy. So, it was very nice to hold a cigarette in the hand and, you know, you look like an intelligent doctor, even if you are not. So, so, then I realized that this is a hypocrisy. I am smoking and how can I tell others that I, you know, don't give up smoking. So, I discovered an inner conflict inside me. And then I discovered it's not a good thing. And of course, when I got married, for sure I knew it's not a good thing. So, I have to give up smoking. So I was struggling, I changed my brand. I started having costly cigarettes. I found myself buying costly cigarettes. Then I said, I'll not keep at home. So I was walking three kilometers to pick up a cigarette. I said, this is worse. (laughs) And I had friends, you know, always you have good friends who do bad, who give you bad advice. So when friends came to know that I am smoking expensive brands and you know, friends were all pilots going around the country so, they would get expensive brands for me. So, I said, this weird kind of friendship. So, the net result is I failed. Honestly, I failed. You know, I could cut down to a point, but beyond this, was not going. So, I kind of reconciled to a position that, okay, three cigarettes a day, I lose these many years of my life. <laughs> like many of us do. So, when I stood before the mother, instead of hearing some adesh of, you know, surrender, you are mine or something, I heard, stop smoking. <laughs> believe me I walked out a free person never after that I even felt the urge to smoke after five years just to test myself I picked up a cigarette in hand because I till date I don't understand because I don't remember even an attitude change inside I picked up a cigarette took a puff and experienced the same horror that I experienced when you take a first puff the cough and the so I threw it I said this would be foolish if I You know destroy this day but people have done that also you know there was a famous case uh, of one of disciples disciple would say in the evening you know I have resolved I will never smoke so since how long since yesterday (laughs) so you know there are cases like that but there is effect of intervention which completely changes all the forces inside I am sharing this on a very intimate note because this is real I cannot explain it. I have no understanding of this event, but it has happened. That it changed, cut through all the attitude, lifestyle, everything, and in one moment, hardly I was standing for five minutes, I was not even meditating. I just walked out a free person. So this is just to show how the intervention of which Narat spoke just before this beautifully, and the lines I'm saying is just preceding it. So, you know, the intervention, the divine intervention, which can change the entire course of things. But few can look beyond the present state or overleave this matted hedge of sense. Yeah, Just a few more minutes. All that transpires on earth and all beyond are parts of an illimitable plan. The one keeps in his heart and knows alone. Our outward happenings have their seed within. And even this random fate that imitates chance, this mass of unintelligible results are the dumb graph of truths that work unseen. The laws of the unknown create the known. In India it is known as the Karvik law. There are karmas which unleash energies that comes back to us after centuries. That's why it's, one should be so conscious about everything that one does, thinks and feels. Because these are energies led into motion. The events that shape the appearance of our lives are a cipher of subliminal quiverings. What is going on in the depths is the real thing, real event. The battle of the gods and the titans which the Puranas speak of. Outside we just see a cipher of this quivering, just a little bit of uh, spillover of the current. I actually had a friend who saw in his dream Mother and Sri Aurobindo fighting with the dark adversary to save his soul. He actually saw and he was horrified because he saw it and he didn't understand. He, he ran to me, is it true? He was not really a devotee, he had heard about Mother and Sri Aurobindo through me and had some general kind of faith. So these things happen inside and outside they just reflect in bit of depression, bit of problems, bit of conflict, some disease here and some pain here, some, something there. Are a cipher of subliminal quiverings which rarely we surprise or vaguely feel are an outcome of suppressed realities that hardly rise into material day. They are born from the spirits, son of hidden powers digging a tunnel through emergency extreme darkness through which the world must pass is a tunnel that the divine digs through emergency so it's so interesting when we look at it like that then we say thanks to all this crisis that we are beginning to look deeper otherwise we would have been too satisfied with ourselves but who shall pierce into the cryptic gulf and learn what deep necessity of the soul Determined casual deed and consequence. Who shall pierce? How to do it? Is there a way? Will the scientist do it? Will the intellectual do it? Will the religious man do it? Who will do it? So, Shubindra is giving us a hint. Absorbed in a routine of daily acts, our eyes are fixed on an external scene. We hear the crash of the wheels of circumstance. And wonder at the hidden cause of things. This is what we do. So long as our eyes are fixed on the external, we are never going to understand the secret of life. So long as we are only analyzing the outer and the outer and the outer, we will only play with the mud. So, what is the solution? With these three three lines, we will stop. Yet, a foreseeing knowledge might be ours yet a foreseeing knowledge might be ours if we could take our spirits stand within if we could hear the muffled demon voice It's just an overview. We have in the evening question answers. If there is any quick question maybe we can take. Yes, sir. Thank you for the personal story, because it means so much to all of us. And if you would just touch for a moment on your vision, understanding of Iran, North Korea and terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> i would wish that you should tell this (laughs) about north korea definitely shirobindo has himself written very clearly and it's published it was one of his notes given to mother india in all the issues the whole affair is plain in the pike stife that it's not just north korea i hope uh, i'm safe I have to go back. <laughs> Mother is the safety and refuge. But, anyways, the thing is that it's not, obviously, it's not just North Korea. There are forces which are behind, and whether we name it or not, but the big country which is sitting right behind it, which is pushing it to further a certain ideology. So, definitely. The North Korean crisis, and if we really look at, we don't have to really go very deep. The kind of virulence that the country brings out is very clear. That if it's not kept in its place, it can be very dangerous and a threat to the world. In many ways, a similar situation. You know, they are definitely interlinked. The kind of worldview which Let's say takes women to a state of confining themselves in a certain worldview and a life view where they don't have freedom, where they don't have their say in things. Whether they willingly accept it or not is not the issue at all, but definitely that worldview is not at all a very healthy worldview. And definitely it is anachronistic in today's times. All well, terrorism is much of terrorism is springing up from that. That it is it is a fierce assertion of a certain worldview, and it wants to assert itself by force and by a certain degree of exclusiveness. That I am the only one who is right, and I assert myself in this way. Of course, terrorism is a very complex phenomena but definitely it springs from the bowels of the earth it is something very dark dangerous and um, it's it's a very big subject actually i am little worried i am holding back myself that if i let loose i may end up you know with another hour so (laughs) i will just share a few lines from savitri to show how deep and penetrating shirobindo's vision had been and how he had forcing in all this, you know, all these terrorist act in the name of freedom, they do it very much in that name that, you know, they have a right to do what they want and they justify it. So we have this line which uh, from the world of falsehood, you know. Yes, <coughs> it's a very uh, long passage, I'll just read about ten odd lines, but I would suggest that those who want to understand the deeper forces which work behind this creation, please read Savitri. And especially with regard to this darkness that we see engulfing, what is its nature, how many masks it can wear. This darkness is wearing many masks, not just one. Terrorism is one of the masks that this darkness is wearing. Very strangely it can wear, as I said, seemingly opposite mask also. So this is as we were talking of Buddhism and the Shankara kind of Vedantic lore. That it can wear because its, its power is like that. Now we will identify terrorism here and this is the nether bottom, rock bottom of the world of falsehood where Shirobindo is describing. This was religion. This was nature's role. In a fell chapel of iniquity to worship a black, pitiless image of power. Kneeling one must cross hard-hearted stony courts. Incidentally, this is an actual act which is done Where I won't say But some people know it. This is an actual ritual to be done in one of the places of worship kneeling one must cross Kneeling one must cross hard-hearted stony coats actually this image is very vivid So please keep it in the mind, if you really go back, you will know where it is being done. In a fell chapel of iniquity to worship a black, pitiless image of power, kneeling one must cross hard-hearted stony courts, a pavement like a floor of evil fate. Each stone was a keen edge of ruthless force and glued with the chilled blood from tortured breasts. The dry gnarled trees stood up like dying men, stiffened into a pose of agony, and from each window peered an ominous priest, chanting to for slaughter's crowning grace. Uprooted cities, blasted human bones, blasted human homes, burned risen bodies the bombshells massacre we have the I would say the foolish audacity to talk about Shura in terms I mean sitting in one room you know everything that is going to happen hundred years hence. the least we can do is to have gratitude Uprooted cities, blasted human homes, burned risen bodies, the bombshells massacre. Our enemies are fallen, are fallen, they sang. All who once stayed our will are smitten and dead. How great are we, how merciful art thou. Thus, Thought they to reach God's impassive throne. Their idea of God is very impersonal, impassive. And His grace is only, uh, you know, if you do these acts. And Him command whom all their acts opposed, magnifying their deeds to touch His skies. There no relenting pity could have place, but ruthless strength. And iron moods had sway, a dateless sovereignty of terror and gloom. This took the figure of a darkened god, revered by the ragged wretchedness he had made, who held in thrall a miserable world, and helpless hearts nailed to unceasing woe, adored the feet. That trample them into mire. What a power this can have that people, despite seeing it, would adore the feet that trample them into mire. I mean, really, I mean, speaking of the Iran crisis, people even justify it's fine. I mean, even though the oppressed are happy with the oppression, can you imagine? I mean, and sorrow with hatred. It was a world of sorrow and of hate sorrow with hatred for its lonely joy hatred with other sorrow as its feast a bitter rictus curled the suffering mouth a tragic cruelty saw its ominous chance hate was the black archangel of that realm it glowed a somber jewel in the heart Burning the soul with its malignant rays and wallowed in its fell abysm of might, these passions even objects seem to exude.